just when you thought it was safe to go onto iTunes. This is Next Level Guy. The only website that makes self-development as fun as going to the movies. It's time to take the red pill and escape the Matrix. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Next Level Guy Show podcast with your host, Ian Dawson-Mackay. Today's guest is Gary John Bishop. He's a Scottish personal development expert who gives real and raw advice that actually works by telling it as it is. Gary is able to reach through the bullshit that you're holding on to and help you fix the deeper issues that have been holding you back from becoming the man that you want to be. Gary's best-selling book is Changing Lives and you'll want to get a copy today. If you're thinking of buying it and you want to know what else you should check out, simply go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates. This is where you'll find all my special offers, discounts, codes and listener deals that I've set up with some awesome companies. For me, I particularly like the awesome fitting, super comfy jeans from Barbell Apparel. They're designed for guys who are quite muscular and want to show off their gains. I also like the Gains Boxes, which is a monthly subscription box full of premium fitness goodies which are sent directly to your door. Um, you should also check out some of the coolest gear from the, for the best prices from those great guys at Hackberry. They help you become a better man by improving every aspect of your life. If you want to improve your dating skills, you should check out The Natural by RSD Max. And if you want to become a beast in the gym, you can't go wrong without picking up a copy of The Lifting Lyceum by Greg Knuckles and Omar Isif. To check out these and more, simply go to www.nextlevelguy.com forward slash affiliates and enjoy. There really is a present for all men and even yourself, no matter your taste, need or area that you wish to improve. And now, let's get to the interview with Gary. I really enjoy this one, and I know it's going to help so many people. Enjoy. If I met you in a bar or a party or other some genetic location and I asked who you were, you know, and you had 30 seconds to reply, you know, like I say, between floors and a lift, who would you <clears> say you are and what you do? Um, I would tell you that I'm somebody who spends a lot of time at home thinking. Occasionally I write some stuff and occasionally I talk, and apparently there's people that want to listen to it, so that's what I do for a living. I'm sure you've had that question more times. Yeah, it's, unfortunately, it's one of those you've got to begin with. So, yeah, was there a, a turning point that made you start trying to get into this whole personal development? Yeah, was there an issue that you had as a younger man? Oh my gosh, uh, this this could take up the whole time here. Um, so, I, I yeah, I mean, like everybody else, you know, I mean, I'd, I had a childhood, and uh, you know, for if you're if you're not most people would say they're affected by their childhood. If you say you weren't affected by your childhood, you're not thinking hard enough. Like you're just not looking hard enough. You got to really, you got to really challenge yourself to see that, you know, like w- what were the ways that I was affected both good and bad. Cause ultimately they both become constraints. So when I started to do the work on myself, it was really, I mean, it was at the behest of a relative of mine who said, you know, I think you should do this personal development workshop thing. And I, I just rolled my eyes. I was like, oh, for the love of God. You know, I just thought, you know, what What does this guy think of me that he would ask me? That he must think I'm losing my mind or something. And I said, uh, I'm, my exact words to him were, I'm not doing your stupid course. And he said, uh, I'll pay for it. And I said, when is it? 
and uh, and I did it, and it was really challenging. It wasn't one of these things. Um, wasn't one of these things where I went in the door and it was like, okay, everybody breathe and get in touch with your chakra. And it, was, it wasn't like that. It was more like, you're an asshole. And I was, you know, that was like shocking. I'm like, what? Huh? I don't need somebody telling me that, you know, I'm a problem. I'm here to get some insight on to handle the problems that I, that share my life. And at that time, it was a lot to do with my, my marriage, you know. And so I, yeah. Uh, I came out of it like rocked. I mean, I just suddenly realized that I have a point of view. But but not like a point of view like I don't like onions. I mean, that's a point of view. I like onions. But if I didn't like onions, that's a point of view or an opinion. We don't relate to ourselves like that we are some kind of combination of opinions and judgments and points of view. All of that comes together and gives you a very kind of unique experience of being yourself. And I could never see myself until that time, until, you know, midway through the 2000s that I started to see that there was a me, like a specific thing that I could start to work on. And uh, and it, it was the beginning of the self-exploration, which isn't too fascinating. I mean, you could spend a lot of time picking fluff at your belly button, but I, I actually started to get very, into, after I, as I was doing a lot of that work on myself, I should say, I started to really get like the difference that that I could make with people and 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 uh, and you know like have my life be about something that actually inspired me and I've been doing that for about a dozen years ever since. And do you see a sort of common pattern of like where modern guys, you know, where they come to you with problems? Is it is it the same sort of bullshit? Is it the the same kind of problems or is it quite different depending on the religion their like their where they're from how their upbringing is etc no it's all the same as all the same so i've been off all over the world doing this kind of work you know i've done this in hong kong i've done this in uh south korea i've done this in bogota colombia i've done this in london i've done this in you know la and vancouver and I mean, you name it and there's something very, very um, challenging about being a human being. And, and the most challenging part of all is we tend to look at our problems in terms of what's in front of our face. So, you know, like if I'm not getting along with my spouse, we talk about bullshit things like communication problems, which, you know, when you're arguing with your spouse, I don't think you're having a communication problem. I think you're communicating pretty well in that moment of time, actually. You know, you're like telling her she's a bitch and she's saying you're an asshole. And yeah, you guys are kind of getting it all out there. So people tend to pursue those lines of, well, it's a communication problem. Although say, you know, we're just not compatible or, oh, you know, I want to bring the magic back. So we should just drink more wine. Um, so we tend to approach our lives in this really... Uh, surfacey level we, we never really penetrate um and get to the depths of what's going on unless it's through some kind of psychological examination which you know i don't know if that's for everybody and i don't know if everybody would say it would work for them so i'm i'm very interested and very fascinated in the degree to which people can investigate for themselves with a few pointers and uh uncover things for themselves that are like aha moments, like moments when suddenly things make sense that 
that when I realize this about myself or the way that I do life, um, it changes everything. And those kinds of things are available to all of us as human beings. And in fact, I don't care where you go in the world. It's the same bullshit, just a different tune. Because that's what I really liked about your stuff was you're not one of these, you know, you see these ten a penny articles of this is what you need to do to be successful. This is what you need to do to be happy. Yeah. And no one, not every single guy can do the exact same thing and get the exact same results. Right. I mean, we just see, and it's, I like that about your stuff. It was, you know, for the person, it was finding the drama, the dragons, the demons inside ourselves and actually going, fix that, do that, do that. You know, like you're saying, like the aha, the awakenings. Right. To make people improve. Um, can you go into a little bit about like what do we because I, I love the way you looked at it was that what is your actual identity you know how how do we define ourselves as a person is it our emotions our feelings our self-talks yeah what is our me as a yeah a better example that's a really great question um it's one that's perplexed philosophy and all the sciences for a long time I'm not proposing to have the answer to that question, by the way. I'm proposing to have a particular angle on it that might make a difference for people. Um, But as far as neuroscience is concerned and your brain's concerned, there's no locus of you in your brain. So that is, there's no place in your brain where Ian is. So Ian doesn't exist as a phenomenon. There's just what Ian does exist in terms of brain patterns. So there's no, like, little glowing lizard of Ian in the middle of your frontal cortex or whatever the hell, and that's not there. Um, then then what is Ian or what is Gary or anybody listening to this call? Well, apart from the skin and bones, and that's when people tell me, like, you know, I've got something inside me, I'm like, yeah, it's similar to the stuff you'll find in a butcher shop. That's all. There's nothing going on inside you that you won't find, you know, on the on the refrigerated section of Asda. Um, it's just meat and bones. The thing is, though, there is something happening with you. There's something unique happening where you are. So the first thing I want people to get is you're not your body. Your body isn't you. In fact, you can chop bits of your body off and you continue to exist. The only thing we haven't worked out how to do yet is chop your brain off and have you exist, but we're at work on that. So then where's the where do I locate myself? Where do I find my identity, if you like? Well, I'm a my my particular uh, field of interest, if you like, not expertise, it's interest, is a couple of philosophical domains. One is called ontology, O-N-T. O-L-O-G-Y, ontology, which is just basically the study of being. And you're a human being. It's not the study of being like some kind of nebulous, you know, state. It's it's being like a definitive kind of being. So then what is being? Being can be described of, as a, a way that you think, a way that you act, and a way that you feel. All of those in combination would be a way that you be. 
And if you get down to it with a human being, you'll find that they have a very definitive range of beingness. It's very definitive. It's very, like, um, predictable. Um, and they, as an identity, can be described in terms of those ways of being. So I might be being analytical. If you're someone who is analytical, you'll find you're analytical all the time. You're not. You're analytical when you're standing, putting petrol in your car. You're analytical when you go to work. You're analytical when you're talking to your wife or you're talking to your boyfriend or you're analytical. And there's some other components there, but being analytical might be foundational for you. Other people will say, I'm not so much analytical, but they might be hardworking, like being hardworking. That is, they speak, act, and experience themselves in terms of that hard work. So there's a range of being that you are in. The most important part of that, for me anyway, is those ways of being rise and fall. And they rise and fall in the dialogues that you're having with yourself and with other people. So to tie a nice little bow on all of this, you're nothing more than a habitual conversation about yourself and life. And that's your life experience right there in that dialogue. And if you want to live a different life, you ought to start getting aware of that dialogue. You ought to start interrupting that dialogue. And you ought to start shaping and creating some other kind of dialogue that might be in alignment with the life you really want. See, I really like that. I mean, it's it's the way you look at it. It's um, like, this is where I always have the issue with people who come along and go, no, there's no point. No, can't do that. Can't do right. that. I'm thinking, if you don't if you don't even believe it yourself, how are you going to even achieve yeah. it? You know, how is I mean, can everybody change? Can everybody listening just now who's going, no, nah, I've been like this for too long. No, nah, won't change. Can't do that. Can anybody well, change? Well, you got to get like, so first thing you got to get over is the idea that you need to believe you can change. I don't care whether you believe it or not. That's got nothing to do with it. You know, your belief is bullshit. You know, whether you believe you can let go of it has no impact on the game itself. I mean, you know, you're from Scotland. Our national pastime is football. Guys hit shots that they don't think are going to go in all the time, yet they go in. There was no belief. They just hit it. Especially the Scottish national team. Well, yes, particularly the Scottish national team and excuse for strikers that we have. But anyway, so you've, you'd have to get... You'd have to really start to do more th something called examining. So I, the, what I say to people is, you 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 persist, and I'm, when I mean you, I mean like Ian persists, and the very next thing that falls out of Ian's mouth. So that's where Ian persists. So he he persists into this moment, and follows into the next moment with the next thing that falls out of his mouth. That includes the things he's saying to himself. So you persist in that language of like this moment to that moment to that moment. So the moment you say I can't, well, now in this new moment, so a moment ago I asked you, can you change? In this new moment where you say I can't, what's now here in this moment is I can't, therefore I can't persists. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So your 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 life is given by what falls out of your mouth next. I'm not interested in changing how people feel. Uh, that's, I think that's one of the mistakes in this industry. It's to get people to feel different. That's, that's, you're starting in all the wrong places. That's like asking one of the Scotland strikers, like, let's build up your confidence. 
I would say, why don't we work on his shot? Why are we talking about his confidence? He's skying it. His confidence isn't there. He doesn't need his confidence. He needs feet. So I'm more interested in not how you're feeling about change. I'm more interested in what are you doing about it. Because if somebody, when it comes down to it, you can feel any way up the yin-yang about something, but nothing will change until you act differently. You might feel better about it. You might be more inspired about it. You might feel a little more settled about doing it. But ultimately, you'll still have to do it anyway. And so I'm more interested in people dealing with where they're at. That is, I don't think I can change yet. I'm going to step out there and take the actions anyway. That's that's what I'm talking about. That's like when in the book I talk about being relentless. It's about going beyond what you think and feel you can do and start to act on something that's outside of that, like outside of that paradigm. Because if if one the way I put it to clients sometimes is, is one of us is going to be right. Which one do you want to be right? You or me? And if they say, I want you to be right, then we got a game going. And if they say, I want me to be right, I'll say, thank you for your time. The session's over. So, and it really is that way. You're either going to be right about it or you're going to give up your righteousness about it and do something about it. So I like that approach. So you're saying that we're shaped by our actions rather than what you know what we feel, and we we go and say to people, "Oh no, you just need to think about it and feel a bit better before you can do that. You need to feel more yeah. confident before you can do it." Right, right. I mean, we're in a time of positive psychology. We've been in it for about thirty years, so it's it really has. Been, and and look, there's nothing wrong with positive psychology. There was a real good reason why we ventured down that pathway as a group of people because we'd we'd had you know hundreds of years of personal suppression people suppressing themselves to fit in and conform and at some point in the 60s or something it was like there was this kind of breakout phenomenon where people started to express themselves and what followed on from that is this thing called this personal psychology like it's okay and you know and it's and, you know, look, it has its place, but it, it's kind of kind of drifted off into the, the periphery of the of the current consciousness, where we're we're now coming up with some just plain old fashioned weird shit to to impact the quality of people's lives, and it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book. I wanted the book to cut through. I wanted it to penetrate a an ocean of quite frankly, voodoo. And, uh, you know, and, and it's done that. The book sold, you know, well over 100,000 copies. It's, it's, it has been, it's, it's kind of like my mission now. Like I want people to realize this kind of self-affirmation or this kind of like, well, you the, the bullshit lines that we sell, you can't love anybody until you love yourself. Who the fuck made that up? When did that start? What do you mean you can't love anybody else until you love yourself? You've got a cat. You love your cat. You don't love yourself, but you love your cat. If you can bring to bear the love for your cat, you can bring it for another person. It's not imperative. It's all like self-love. I, I say stuff like maybe a little bit of self-grace, maybe a little bit of self-forgiveness, maybe a little bit of self like giving yourself the room to make mistakes. So what about those ones just now like – 
I mean, I, I've gone through, you know, periods of like really bad and negative thinking where yeah. it's like an internal prison, you know, you, it just seems like impossible to escape because it's it's inside your head. How can somebody, you know, who's sitting there going, yeah, that sounds great, but I just can't take that first step. How can we start that yeah. procedure? Yeah, yeah, it's really... One of the things that we try and do, Ian, is we try and change that internal dialogue. So we try and like make it go away, right? Or do something about it. But it's but it's like an insect bite. The more you engage with it, the worse it gets. So if you you know if you scratch a mosquito bite, you'll end up with an infected hand. Well, if you try and make your internal dialogue change, you're just gonna grow that thing. You're going to make that thing be what your life's about. So what I'm more interested in, and by the way, when people say I can't, you got to realize that's a choice. It doesn't seem like a choice. In the moment, it seems like I don't have a choice. And I know that because I've been there many, many times. But you got to start breaking that down. you got to start relating to it like, okay, so I'm actually currently choosing not to do this, um, whatever this might be. Um, and that's why I introduce in the book like these statements, these interruptions to, to your own bullshit, that if you take the statement on and you say, you know what, I'm just going to act in accordance with a statement. I don't feel like I should. I don't feel like I want to. But I'm going to make this statement and I'm going to live. The next thing I'm going to do is going to align with that statement that I just made. And it's like, you know, it's like um, – it's like weaving something. It's like you're building something. It's like, and the next action is in alignment with the statement that I made. And then the next action, and then the one after that, I did, and I screwed it all up and I went back to the beginning again. But then the next action, I went back to it. And it's that, like weaving the presence of something in your life, something new, something that you want. And sometimes it takes time, and you got to be okay with it. It takes time. You don't let yourself off the hook for it. You're not like, well, this takes time, so maybe I'll just eat a pie supper in the meantime. It's like, no, I'm, this takes time, and I'm going to hold myself to it. As I, as I often say to my clients, you know, your success in life as a human being, it's, it's almost exclusively tied to the degree that you can keep a promise to yourself. And I mean, like, keep it. I don't mean, like, did most of it, but for this bit, or did a good job, but never quite, or I was going to do it, but it snowed, or my cat died, or my father got cancer. It's like, no, all that shit happened and I still did it. And that's kind of like what you have to deal with as a human being. You're going to have a life either filled with reasons why you didn't do it or doing it. And and people live with this illusion that somehow in the doing of it, the conditions have got to be right. No, the conditions aren't right for what you want to do. You don't feel it. They don't feel it. It's The, the universe, it doesn't have your fucking back. The universe isn't, it's universal. It's everybody. It's not you. So the universe isn't looking out for you. If it was, nobody would get hit by a train. If that's the universe looking out for you, you can keep it. The universe does not have your back. You got to realize that that when you, when you say shit like that, you're like offering it up to some, you know, invisible deity. The reality is, you know, it's never right to do the thing you want to do. It's never the right time. It's never the right space. It's never the right moment. So what? That's how it is. Like, oh, I can't do it right now because, you know, I've got a lot of debt. 
I don't care. Handle it. Work it out. Well, you know, but you know, my mom really needs me. Okay, I get that. Your mom needs you. Okay, work it out. And people don't want to work it out. They'd much rather acquiesce and explain their lives. The German philosopher Martin Heidegger said this. He said it a lot more eloquently than I'm about to say it. But Martin Heidegger said, human beings would rather explain their lives than intervene with them. And that's just a blanket statement that fits us all. You just have to find out, well, where am I explaining it? Because sometimes some people think explanations and justifications are dramatic. They're not. Some things are very reasoned. They're very dry and matter of fact. But it's still the same bullshit. Well, I mean, that's why I really liked the book. You know, I could have done it with it about 10 years ago because I went through the period of, you know, kind of depression. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about this. I'll plan for this. I'll prep for this. So life went by. And, you know, I kept thinking, oh, so-and-so's watching. They're caring about what I'm doing. But no one really gives a fuck. It's that's always, right. You know, you've got to go out and uh, do what you do. And I've only really been happy when I've just got, even though I felt like utter shite, or nervous, mm -hmm. or scared, uh -huh. or just gone and done it. You know, you hear these people who say, oh, fake it till you make it, or you have to feel more confident, or feel loving, and the world will love you back. And, you know, that's that's something I got from all the comments on, say, your Amazon um, reviews. People yeah. saying, it's like a breath of fresh air. You're right. actually, you motivated me to do something, rather than telling me how to feel about whatever I want to do. Right. And, and I think that's the paradox at times. I think we, we, we wait in our lives. We wait until the, the thing I'm about to do and how I feel are aligned before acting. And so you've got all these people like waiting on a feeling. And that's what they're doing. They're sitting, waiting on a feeling like when the moment strikes or the day comes or the, and, and other people, you know, like people who have like a way of being called being um, analytical, they tend to say things like, well, I'm still working out pieces of it that are really critical to the, da, 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 da. and you'll notice they persist those things. It's so that you don't actually have to act. As I said, like, it's not all human beings on all it's not it's not like you have to be necessarily negative or necessarily depressed or necessarily in those spaces and you can be in those spaces and we often find ourselves in those spaces i myself have been in those spaces in my life but then there's this there's this it goes all the way out on the other end of the spectrum for people that are like no no you don't understand if you no no i, I really am gonna do this no no i'm telling you i mean i've and this is on i'm doing it it'll be march I was going to be November, but there's just some extra pieces that need to get put in. I don't, I don't live that way. I don't, I don't do that. I don't. I, I get committed first, and then I work out how the hell I'm going to do it. I don't. I'm not interested in working out before I get committed. Why the hell would I do that? I'm just giving myself room to talk myself out of it. So I commit first, and then go for it. Because I'm sure we've all got those friends, you know, that they've been starting a business for ten years. They've been trying to get uh -huh. for ten years. And, you know, and it's they, they seem to care more about the how we got to where we are instead of, right. looking, you know, where we're going to go and how yeah. we're going to get to that step. Yeah. So are emotions something we should ignore to an extent? You know, are they kind of holding us back? I mean, is there anything that we can learn from the emotions that we're creating or should it just be a case of feel it and just do it anyway? Well, obviously well, with an extent. Yeah, I think that emotions are important. I don't want to be dismissive of it, like, you know, we're just like lumps of wood, you know, 
unfeeling. I don't mean that. What I mean is we, we've got them way too high up the ladder of importance. And that they are important, but they're not everything. They're not, they're, they, they're, it's, it's not where you should be basing your next act on. Like, oh, it just didn't feel right. You need to do a bit more thinking about that feeling. Now, there was something about, you know, you got to define it. Like, what is it that's got you unsettled? You don't make a choice based on the outside chance that it was the conflicts you had this morning. Uh, you, no, you got to define and do the thinking. And and it's this kind of lazy cop-out that we have, you know. We, and, and look, I'm not saying it's like I'm having a go at people. I'm people too. Um, but, but it's this kind of lazy copper that we have, you know, we, we don't do the rigorous thinking. We don't hold ourselves to account. And, and you'll notice, look, and I would say this to all your listeners, the kind of feelings that I'm talking about, these aren't new ones for you. This isn't some like, oh, I've never been so afraid. It's the same bullshit. It's the same like, oh yeah, this is the same feeling I had when I was 17 and I meant to ask that girl out there. Chicken dirt, or it's the same feeling I had when I was 22 and I went in a job interview and I puked up outside and blew the whole thing because I didn't want to go in. And it's the same feeling I had when I was 28. My girlfriend chucked me. It was the same feeling. It's the same stuff that you're using. It's like, so that would tell you right there, I'm in some kind of pattern here. I'm in, I'm trapped in some kind of cycle of automatic response to certain situations. I got to cause a breakthrough for myself here. I got to realize I'm going to get to a certain point certain situations and that old familiar experience is going to be there yeah i'm going to step over it and i'm going to go right in anyway why because on the other side of that feeling is a whole new expression for me is a whole new domain of success and and accomplishment and you don't get to do great things in your life without being racked by guilt uncertainty dread um, fear, every negative emotion you can experience. When you take something big on in life, you're, you're, the, the, all that negative juice that exists within you will come gushing up, and then you'll have to act on it anyway. I'm just saying, when you're talking about that, I was just thinking of the number of times where I've not, you know, there's been a pattern and I've felt it and done it, or I've given up and then I've felt like shite, and it kind of, mm -hmm. you know, becomes its own self repeating um right self-fulfilling prophecy right uh, it kind of blows you away when you stop and really go oh and right you start seeing each thing again and again i mean brent smith who i interviewed i think it was my second time he was saying about how the you just change your story you know if you think you can't do that just say well i can do that and then just go do it yeah but yeah it's the action that you have to do as well so how does it affect us by, you know, the thoughts that we're thinking, how we speak to other people? Are there like phrases and ways of looking at things that we should stop doing? Yeah. 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 You, I mean, look, if you, if you stick to the philosophy that um, people like Martin Heidegger, Hans George Goddamer, um, Edmund Husserl, some of the German existentialists from the early part of the 20th century who did a lot of this work. I mean, there's a lot of people before them, but this was a big part of Sartre as well. They would say, you're a creature of language, so as you speak, there you be. And and the important part of that, that is, like, you got to start getting conscious of, aware of 
the kind of language you're using to capture life, because that's all language is doing. It's just capturing life. Like, you know, a coffee cup is only a coffee cup because it captures the thing that a coffee cup is. Mm, right. So, so there it is. And the words coffee cup capture that thing for me and, and, and such that I can interact with it. So if you look at like your life is language is like what you use to, to create the environment that you live in. So there's that thing and I give that thing a name and it exists for me in the paradigm of that name. And then that person, well, they've got a name and they've got certain characteristics which exist for me in language when I've looked at their behaviors and I've been able to categorize them and then myself and a table and the fireplace and the door and the, and the weather. And, and so all of these things have a certain kind of significance to them depending upon the language that I use, right? So if I, for instance, have got a project to do and I say, I'm going to try to do that project, I mean, it's already uphill. I mean, I'm going to try to do it. There is no trying. You're either going to do it or not do it. Are you doing it? Yeah, I'm doing that project. I'm doing that project is very different from I'm going to try and do that project. What we don't realize, it seems like these are just like subtleties that are relevant, you know. No, there's a whole world that gets created when I say the phrase, I am going to try. It's very different from the world that gets created when I say, I am doing this now. That's very different. It puts me in two very different places. And so it would be important for you, for your listeners to say, well, what is the language I'm using to capture my life experience? Like I spoke to a, uh, a lady this morning. She, and uh, it was actually on a professional basis in terms of like she was, a, she's a publicist. And, you know, a, a lot of what I do, Ian, is I, you know, if I hear something with somebody, I'm just going to tell them I don't. You know, I don't care whether I'm speaking to you standing in a supermarket, I'll tell you. So um, I said to her, what do you, you uh, something about you, like you're really, I don't know, is it sad or disappointed? What are you, what's going on with you? And she was like, what? I said, what's going on with you? Like, what is it? Is it sadness or disappointment? Big, long pause. Then she said, I'm sad. I said, okay, what about? And by the way, this is in the middle of us negotiating a deal for publicity for my book. I said, what are you sad about? She said, I lost my marriage this year. I said, where did you put it? She was like, what? I said, you said you lost it. Where did you put it? She said, well, I don't mean that. Like, it's over. I said, well, that's different. She said, how is it different? I said, one's a loss. And she really got it. She got like how she'd emotionally bedded herself in with the notion that she'd lost something, like a personal loss. And then all the emotional states associated with losing and losing something you wanted. Yeah, I mean, she's she's got one foot nailed to the floor. She's perpetually sad. And I said, you got to start taking the approach that my relationship ended, that it was unworkable, it wasn't working anymore. And it was time to end it. And then she really got in the conversation with, I spoke to her for, for about 25 minutes. She said, I, I really got to consider the idea of being in a relationship again. 
I said, exactly. So it's, it's, when people say they're stuck or they're unmovable, the only thing that's stuck is the way you talk about it. And by the way, I should add to that, and that's what impacts how you feel about it. So, I mean, so take those people just now who are, well, I mean, the people say the, the, those who have depression in air right. quotes, you know, not mm-hmm. not the chemical balance depression, but the, the you know, the, the blues or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. How, how can we grade, like, bad things? You know, how do we know at what point that's actually a proper problem? Or is every problem a way of saying, oi, this is something you need yeah. to deal with. This is a... Look at me. You should be dealing with this to avoid it happening again. Yeah. How can we reframe it? It's such a challenging thing, depression. It's like the chicken and the egg. So what was it happened? Was it the dialogue that happened first or the chemical imbalance in my brain that happened first? At some point, they're both in sync. So what I'm saying and how I'm feeling are in sync. So... I'm not smart enough to know which one came first. I do know they're both very real. And so people who uh, use uh, antidepressants to deal with the chemical imbalance, that's fine. You'll also notice, though, as you're taking the antidepressants, you'll talk about things in more of an upswing. So you'll you, people will say, well, my outlook's better. Your outlook is, gets formed in language. So you're talking differently than you were before. So it's kind of like this. And then there'll be this point where the chemical balance of your brain and the language are again in sync, but this time it's kind of on an upswing. So I would say to anybody who's in those states, it's you ought to start realizing that with every word that falls out your mouth, you're either condemning yourself or rising yourself. And I know it's not easy. I know it's not easy. I know there's times when, like, you're desperate. And you got to start somewhere. And if that means, you know, you got to go and get the meds and all that stuff, that's all fine. But you also got to realize you got to start retraining yourself. The way you talk about yourself, the way you talk about language, sorry, a life, the way you talk about people, and start to frame it for yourself in a way that works for you, that empowers you, that doesn't make you resentful or angry or resigned, but in fact lights you up. Because uh, that's that's where, that's the ebb and flow of your emotional state is in the kinds of conversations you're having with yourself and others. Because, I mean, some people might even just get better by, the you know, thinking it differently. Because like you were mentioning before, is you change the world. You know, you create the new neural pathways when you start thinking more positively. So does that mean then maybe your brain is getting better? You know, are you getting an upswing in mood and all that because you're going a more positive approach with a thought? Yeah. Well, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. Well, how, how can they say it's the chemicals when you're changing your outlook on life, you know? Right. And that, and that really is the question. And by the way, as far as everything I've read anyway, no one's answering that question. No one's saying, well, it was the chicken first or was it the egg? No, it was the egg first. Nobody's saying. So in the absence of any definitive proof, um, and again, both things being very real, I would say to people, you got to deal with it what you can. you got to deal with it whatever you can. Um, I'll give you an example of the narrative changing, though. So that I think might be useful to people. 
So I'd lived my childhood. My father was quite the drinker, you know, he full international honours for Scotland. Um, you know, my father was a cooper. He made whiskey barrels. And he drank a lot of what was in those things. And my mother um, basically raised the four of us on her own. My father was gone for most of my childhood. And um, by the time I got out of that childhood, I had a lot of resentment. Amazingly enough, not for my dad, but for my mom. Like, I was very angry at her for what I thought she should have done. And how she fucked my childhood up. And how she was selfish and only cared about herself. And that, you know, didn't give a damn for me. And I was the forgotten child. I was the youngest. I was the only boy. And it, it was fine, though. I mean, I was like 17, 18, 19, 20. I still had a pretty positive outlook in life. It wasn't until I got into my late 20s that I realized that I wasn't letting it go. It was still with me. And I had a working kind of relationship with my mom at the time. I mean, it's like, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to see my mom. And it, but but it was, there was no free flow between her and I. There was this kind of obstacle. And it was, we didn't argue, we didn't fight. There was just this, there was this kind of like space where I couldn't quite be myself. And then when I started to do this work and I realized that how I'd turned out wasn't a function of what she'd done, but rather a function of what I said to myself about what she'd done. And those are two different things. Mm -hmm. So for those of you listeners that are in an argument, currently still in an argument with your parents, because your parents won't agree to your version of events. Like you say this happened and they say that never happened. Well, here's the reality. It didn't happen. Why? Because there's 8 billion views of life on the planet, and you're arguing over whose is right. And the reality is they both are. The movie's the movie regardless of the seat you're in. You get the movie according to where you're sitting. And that's the same in life. The problem is, though, my reality I seek agreement for my reality. So I might ask my siblings. I might talk to my friends about it. And they're all nodding their fucking head like, yeah, she was a bitch. That's right, Gary. And then when I started to do this work, I started to realize I was an asshole. That I'd killed the relationship with my mom and blamed her and blamed her and blamed her and blamed her. And every time she did something that was aligned with what I was blaming her for. I jumped all over it like evidence and proof. Like, see, there she fucking goes again. And the reality was the woman had no chance with me. Now, I'm not saying she was like a saint. She had her own shit to deal with. Hmm. The problem was my childhood was about ju uh, judging the job that she'd done. Like, there I am, nine, determining what she should have done better with me or 12, or 14, or 17. And there was a point in all of that when I got her humanity. When I got she was fucking struggling. And it was hard. And she gave it her best shot. And she fucked some things up. And it's okay, I made it. And it wasn't always the way I wanted it to be. And I, and I wanted blankets and chicken soup and, you know, I love you. And I didn't get that. That wasn't my childhood. And she didn't love me the way that I thought she should. She did it her way, which was by telling me where I fucked up. 
But what I started to realize was that I could have compassion for her and I could love her just the way she is. I don't have to change anything about her. And I could invite something into my life that I hadn't let into my life since I was a little boy. And that is the love of a mother. And I didn't need my mother there to experience the love of a mother. It was like I could let myself be with that I was loved. And it was fucking radical. It was like magical. It was like, holy shit. And the whole paradigm changed for me. Like I couldn't even look at her the same way. Whenever she got upset, I'd just be like, yeah, it's my mom. So what she does, it's okay. Nobody's going to die. So that's an example of how like you can reframe your whole past such that it has an impact on you that it actually nourishes you. Or you can just choose the one you have and have it eat you up like a fucking cancer. Yeah, because I mean, that's an amazing story because that's what I say to people is there's three, like an event happens, two people are watching it. Neither of you actually takes what happened. You see your interpretation of the event through your mm-hmm. bias, your own values. And that was something I was going to ask you about was how can you let go of this bullshit? You know, like an ex-girlfriend breaks up with you, something mm-hmm. from childhood. You know, it's yeah. I love the way you looked at it was it's you're not dealing with the person. You're dealing with your interpretation of the person. Right. And, you know, I think even just that alone will probably have blown so many people away because so many of us carry this through and we use it as justification for, oh, I've, you know, I see my dad fight, so I've, I'm, yeah. I, you know, I was right. loved, so I do this, I do that. Yeah. It's just. I, I, look, I, I have this statement I sometimes say, I, say, I put this up on Facebook. You can look me up on Facebook. I've got like a quarter of a million people that that are follow me on that in that particular platform and sometimes they get really f- pissed off with me you know like they're furious because i'm saying shit that conflicts with their own myth so they don't like it they're going to fight for their fucking misery rather than deal with what i'm saying and so a few weeks ago i put up a state a, a little meme and it said you'll never get over your past until you first confront the degree to which you've used it to justify yourself and people hated it. They fucking hated it. And, you know, they were like up in arms. And I said, and eventually I said to them, look, at some point you're going to realize I've just told you how to free yourself of your past. And you're going to realize you're fighting for yours. You're not fighting for my version of your past. You're fighting for your version of your past, yet you say you're miserable because of it. And that's why people listen to me talk in in, in certain environments and they poo-poo it. Because if they adopted what I'm saying, then not only does it alter their whole past, but it alters what you've told everybody and what you'll now have to tell everybody given what you've now discovered and taken on for yourself. It's like you literally have to reinvent yourself. You might have to become somebody who forgives and accepts and understands rather than is out to prove their point. Now, that, there might be no glory in that initially, other than in your health, I guess, because, you know, your, your blood pressure will go way down. But but if you're not questioning yourself and your own set of, and I'm saying this in quotes, beliefs, if you're not questioning that, then you're destined to have the life you've had to this point. You can't change your life circumstantially. 
that's the problem with trying to just constantly impacting your circumstances. You know, like, oh, I want to make more money. The problem with make more money is it's you with more money. It's still you. It's still the same shit. That's why a lot of people, when they get wealthy, they go off the rails because they realize the money never fixed it. And I know there's a lot of people listening right now saying, well, I'd like to fucking try. I get it. I know. But it doesn't change anything. No, you got to question you. You got to work on you. You got to develop you. The answer to everything you ever wanted lies in the fucking bathroom mirror. That's it. Period. Every time. No exceptions. And if you can confront your own identity and confront yourself and deal with yourself and start to get responsible for what you've done to yourself instead of being addicted to what you think other people have done to you, but rather starting to confront what you've done to yourself with what other people have done, then you might start having a say in the quality of your happiness. I can remember having like insulted by some knob end at a party and it was oh you know i feel furious because of him and i was thinking no i'm allowing him to make me furious or, yeah you know, i would i would even go i would even go a different way i would go a different way what you said there he's not making you do shit it's not even like i'm allowing him to make me furious it's like he's doing what I, he's doing over there and i'm getting furious at that why the fuck am i doing this why not what just what's he saying what are you saying dude you said you think i'm an asshole Okay. All right. Anything else? Yeah, I think you're full of shit. Okay, good. Anything else? No. All right. We're good. It's not about letting people do things to you. Like, as I've heard this so many times, Ian, where people say, they push my buttons. Yeah, you've got fucking buttons. What are you going to do about that? How are you going to handle your buttons? Right. Oh, well, I'll just cut them out of my life. You can't live that way. Okay, I mean, I, I almost stopped. The po- I almost never did the podcast. I n- almost never went for the job I'm in now. I almost, you know, I was allowing other people, and it's amazing that no matter how much we grow and develop, there's always something that we have to keep working on and going. You know, so how how do we do this? Do we do it all at once, like and say, I'm gonna watch what I'm saying. I'm gonna give this a shot. Go that, or like, you know, do we do this step by step? Yeah. How how can we stop basically? A guy listening who wants to transform their life. Yeah. Just dive bombing, basically. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's lots of programs out there you can do that will give you this experience of everything's changed, right? Like, like, like the whole context of your experience will change. Now, that's fine, but at some point you're going to have to get down to the nitty-gritty of being alive. So I say to people, if you want to change your life, you, you have to start by improving your relationship with your promises. So there's a quality of your relationship to your promises. So there's you, there's what you've said you're going to do. And then there's the quality of that relatedness between those two things. Now, in between those two things, some people are unstoppable and other people, other people are totally stoppable, right? Like, some of your people that are listening right now have got an agreement to be at work every day by nine. Yet two days out of five, you're in there at 9.05. And yet you say to yourself, good enough. That's not 9.05 good enough. That's a fucking way of life for you. Good enough. No, you make you get your ass in there every day by nine. Why? Because that's your agreement. You agreed to that. And you should hold yourself thinking, well, the train got canceled. I don't fucking care. 
You've lived here long enough. You know how the trains go. What's your backup plan? Mm. Right? Like, are you somebody who honors what you said you would do? And if you practice that in very small ways, like, all right, I'm going to start treating what I say as if it actually matters. And that what I say when I say it is not fuckable with. That is, you can't fuck with what I'm saying. Neither can I fuck with what I'm saying. Then right there are the seedlings of a real life of power, satisfaction, fulfillment, accomplishment. Like that's how you start to accomplish great things in your life. Not by being up to big things and coming up with brilliant fucking plans. A monkey can do that. The question is, can you do it? Can you execute? And if you can't execute the 40-minute journey to work every day on time, there's not much fucking hope for you. Uh, I've got actually a couple of colleagues like that always mm-hmm. rock in late. And mm-hmm. you think, how? You're 40-odd. You, know, you should know the prep and plan. And, but it's always somebody else's fault. They'll never uh-huh. accept blame for it. So how can we make sure, I mean, I was asking in various social medias and one, I had a great question from a reader who said, you know, what is the, you know, like how parents, some parents live their lives through their children's. Yeah. You know, how, how can we ensure that we bring up our children, not as a, another shot at our own, like our, our own youth, but yeah. actually be healthy, strong. Yeah. And not be messed up. Yeah. You're fucked. So as a parent, you're fucked. You're so fucked. You're fucked in the way your parents were fucked, right? Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, like, your parents did their best, and then you made shit up and believed it. So um, here's how people parent. And I'm saying this as a parent. I have three young boys. My oldest is 12. My youngest is three. Um, People parent either as the mirror image, so living up to some ideal of their own parents, or the opposite of that. So it's either I'm going to do what my dad did, or I'm fucking not doing what my dad did. Right away, I'm bringing in a model for parenting that's got nothing to do with my kid. I'm not parenting this kid. I'm parenting a model. So I'm going to give my kids everything based on what? Right? I mean, I've, I, like my oldest son, you give him things, he's delighted. My middle son, you give him things, he doesn't bat an eyelid. But in my model, I'm going to give the kids what I didn't have. Am I addressing their needs? So that's the first thing. So but giving up the idea that, one, you know what you're doing. Because as a parent, you don't know what you're doing. You're making up every day and pretending you know what you're doing. And anybody who says, that's not true, You're full of shit. You're full of shit. You're making it up and you fucking know it. And and once you give that up, like, oh, it's my job to give it my best shot with this kid. So I remember, like, I often share this. I had this, I think this was my oldest son was about eight. And he'd he'd done something he wasn't supposed to do. He said something to his teacher in class. It wasn't that bad, but it was kind of rude, you know. It was just offhand. And uh, so I pulled him up for it, and he was really indifferent. He was really like, okay. And he's eight, and I'm like, what the f- 
Huh? I'm like, hold on a minute. No, you don't get the significance of this young man. You really got to step it up here. Okay. And I'm thinking, what the hell? He's treating this like it's nothing. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Then, you know what? No more PlayStation for the rest of the week. What did he say? He said, okay. And I'm thinking, what the f... Are you kidding? You know what? No PlayStation for the rest of the month. And he said, okay. And I found myself like raising the bar, trying to get him to the point where he would break, where he would cry, and I could get my message through. Luckily, I stopped myself and I said to him, you know what, kiddo? You know how you're still working out what it is to be eight? And he said, yeah. I said, well, I'm still working it out what it is to be a dad. So you and I need to talk about this. This doesn't work. You need to have some kind of consequence to this thing. What do you think we should do? And we sat down and worked it out. In fact, he was out to make give himself a bigger punishment than I was. He was like, I think I should get, I think I should be kept in for the next year. I was like, relax, you're right, for the love of God. <laughs> but but I really got like what it is to be an authentic father, is to admit to my children that I, I've not worked it all out, but between us we'll work it out. And uh, it was pretty radical. It was pretty like a big changing point for him and I. Like, And him and I still do that. We still like, well, what do you think? And he's really great. He's like, you know, yeah, that's not appropriate. I shouldn't have done that. And he'll, he'll, we'll work it out with one another. Well, you know what? Let's. I was going to get you those new soccer boots. We're not doing that now. All right. That's fair. And it's it's really like this partnership. You know, I mean, look, I have the ultimate say. I'm his dad. But, but at the same time, I want him to get. He's a being. He's he's. He has the ability to think and concepts and abstractions and and come to conclusions. And I and I want to encourage that with them. I just I love the way that you looked at that, and then you actually realised it wasn't what he'd actually done. It was how you were reacting to it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's I know a lot of fathers, like you know, friends have started having kids, and they play a character of a father. Yeah, they're not actually themselves. And That's right. You you notice it. People say, "Oh, you've changed since you become a father," and you're like, "No, they're trying to be what they think a father is, not actually just be themselves." Yeah, people will say like, "I'm turning into my dad." No, you're turning into who you thought your dad was. <laughs> you know, I, I just know that there's somebody just now with going, "Oh my god, that, that's what I'm doing wrong. That's why me and my son don't get." You know, it's yeah. It's just like I just, I mean, I've looked at the timer just now as we're recording this, and it's that's how I know this. I love interviews like this where an hour feels like five minutes. Yeah, you, know, you could just feel like you could talk about this for so long. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you're pushed for time, so I I need to give you a time to give us you know a shout out for the book because to say that it's transforming lives and you know just making people be in the moment and enjoy themselves and actually be themselves, you know what can what can we expect from the book? You know what why should they go and pick up a copy? Well, first of all, it will probably be the best twelve quid you've ever spent. It's a it's a you know you'll rock that book in a day. It's thirty thousand words right between the eyeballs. There's no fluff, no page fillers. 
There's 2,000 years of philosophy crammed into 30,000 words in a way that can relate to your life. And if it doesn't get you up on your feet and have you do something different than you would have done before, then you need to read it again. Because I, I couldn't understand how, when I read the comments, seen your Facebook, seen the content you're putting out, I couldn't um, understand why you were not absolutely massive. You know, like the level of, I don't remember what you call it, like the modern, you know, like on all these kind of magazines yeah. and stuff like that. Because you're giving stuff out that it's life-changing. It's not fluff. It's actual, yeah. this well, I'm, change I'm, your life. I'm kind of getting there, Ian. I'm, you know, like I'm very new on the scene, this whole self development self-help thing there is a lot of fluff in it and you know i do cut through a lot of that yeah you know, and and the book's done amazing i mean it's only been it's only been on release with a major publisher since the first of august this year and it's already sold over a hundred thousand copies um so the book's doing pretty dang great we're about to go on another big publicity run here which should take us really up the charts quite a bit it's an international bestseller it's a bestseller in canada it's a national bestseller in, in, in the United States. And, uh, you know, it's it's I'm, I'm now working on the second book. I mean, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of great things happening, a lot of big plans coming. But I'm, I'm really committed to making a mark in this field because I, I want I really feel as if there's a lot of bullshit. In it. And I think I think there are people that really want to help, but they don't want to be treated a certain way. They want to be related to like a powerful human being, not like some victim to something. That's why I was getting. I kept reading when it, well, when I needed this help, and there was just so much. It was like, here's a template. Just change your name at the top. You know, the whole yeah. industry was, no, no, we don't want anything that might rock the boat. We want to keep this stream of, right, you know, the same thing over and over right. and over. Right. And it's no wonder guys have just, well, just sucked lately. Oh, yeah, that didn't sound right. Well, I, no, but I get what you mean. I mean, look, if you go into most of the kind of personal development people, you go into their websites, I mean, you could literally cut their head out and put it on the next guy's page. It's the same stuff, you know. I mean, I I, I like to say it's kind of like I'm in a – I'm like the sex pistols in a sea of the Bee Gees. And, I, you know, I, I just want people – I, 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 I don't want to fluff people. I don't want to sell you courses for $3,000 that – you know, inspired you to think of yourself like a fucking tiger. You know, I, I, you know, I, I want to, first of all, I want to, I'm always authentic. I'm always real with my with people who follow me. And, and I'm, I'm anything I do, if I give you something, I'm going to sell you something. It's going to be valuable and it's going to be affordable. Like you're not going to have to go, you're not going to have to spend fucking $10,000 to reinvent your life. You, you could spend 400 bucks with me and flip your life on its head. You know, not as one of my one-on-one -on -one clients. Those guys pay. Um, they actually pay for me to write books. And, you know, like it's that income that allows me to get freed up and do the other stuff that I do. But you can go to my website or go on to my Facebook page. There's free things there. There's blog pieces and, you know, all kinds of stuff you can read about me and um, interviews that I've got there. Because I, I want people to get that if you don't have a lot of money, it doesn't mean you say you can't transform. It's not for the rich. And it's for the rich. It's for whoever's who wants it. That seemed to be the thing. So you know, there was a price in transformation. It was like, oh, you you must have this course, and it's eight hundred dollars. Yeah. And you think, oh, if I don't have that, I can't transform. Yeah. I'm, it's that bullshit. It's like you had to have the money to get to that level. Right. I mean, I'm I'm doing uh, next week. I'm flying to San Francisco. I'm delivering uh, the first 
in, of a three uh, of three courses that I'm doing there with a live audience. And the first course is all about self. It's about unfucking you. Okay. The next one will be about unfucking your relationships. And the last one will be about your purpose. Like, what are you using your life for? But the first one's all about you and and being you and being yourself. You buy that course and own that course and download it and all the downloadable materials in it um, for $149, right? $149. There's a sale right now where you can buy it for $99. It's like being in an audience with me for four hours while I grate my way through people's real lives. And you'll get tremendous value out of that. And, you know, it, it doesn't cost an arm and a leg. you got to find the right kind of the right kind of um, discipline that you like as a human being. You know, if you like my kind of style, then follow it and, and, and interact with it and start to implement it, start to use it to further what you say you want your life to be about. So, what, I mean, you've given some absolute gems throughout this, but what do you want the you know, the overall going home message for anybody listening. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, the change that you want in your life, it's right there. And you're either going, you're either going to spend the rest of today perpetuating the myth of your past, or you're going to spend the rest of the day working on your future. And, and it's moment to moment, hour to hour, day to day. You're either filling your life with how great you want your life to be or you're perpetuating the path, the past. And, uh, you know, it's, there's no, there's no excuses. There's no reason it's on you and you got to step up. The cavalry ain't coming. Nobody's going to fucking save you. I love that message. Well, I'm actually really disappointed we've run out of time, you know, because this has been an absolute brilliant, um, just a chance to sort of rack your brain. I definitely want you to come on again because, I know this is going to help so many people, but what, how can we keep in touch? You know, how can we find yeah. out more about the book, see the promotional stuff? Yeah. How, you know, is it just a case of um, GaryJohnBishop.com? Yeah. Or... Yeah. So if you, you go to GaryJohnBishop.com, my website, you can sign up there. Um, you can, if you sign up at the website, you'll become uh, what I call as a, a national. So you'll be part of the unfucked nation. And, you know, you get updates and buy and, you know, and uh, blog pieces and stuff like that. And you get discounts on courses and cool shit and T-shirts and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and occasional, like, you know, uh, videos from me as part of the nation. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, right, um, which is uh, if you look up Gary John Bishop on Facebook or one in seven billion, you'll find me on Facebook or at Gary John Bishop on Twitter, at Gary John Bishop with Instagram. Um, you know, you'll find me in any of those spots. Uh, and, and look, it, like I said, you know, you can you can buy my shit or not buy my shit. I don't fucking care. But the bottom line is, if you follow what I do, you'll get value if you want to get value out of it. So no matter what you do, no matter what level you engage at, and I, and I'm and I'm looking to take care of everybody who follows me, from people who have no money to people who can afford to pay for a course or two. You'll get value no matter which level you you engage with me at. And I know that's why you'll succeed. You generally care. It's yeah. not just making money. You actually want to help people. Take the boy out of Glasgow. <laughs> well, I honestly cannot thank you enough. This has been uh, this is possibly uh, life changing for those listening. Um, you're definitely coming on again because huh. there's so many questions. Uh, you know, we have we've just scratched the surface. That's right. Um, the f- 
the floor is open to you if there's anything you want to say any any tours coming up any you know promotional visit well yeah i'm not i'm not doing i don't have any tours coming up i i do have like i'm i'm putting a lot of energy into any of these three courses of mine they're, they're called the unfuck the unfuck yourself courses and uh like i said i'm really out to make them very um worthwhile to people um and and very affordable to people and, and and i'm committed that they get like just knock your socks off value out of them like i said the first one i'm doing is next week in san francisco and it's uh i'm really excited by it because you know i probably have like 30 a very select group of 30 people in that audience and you know, we are going to dive right into the depths of their lives and any, all their bullshit and get it all on the surface and connect it for the people that are watching online. And if you go to creativelive.com and type in my name in the search box, it's actually at 9 a.m. Pacific um, next uh, Thursday, the 14th of December. You can actually um, look in on that live at no charge if you go in and register with Creative Live. So, and that's free of charge, so you can go in and watch that course happening. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. And I, get, I, I guarantee you, if you just look in on it and you observe it happening, you'll get something for yourself out of it too. Well, I'll definitely be checking it out. We Good. love Creative Live. Um, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll I'll send you as much traffic as I can because I know you're you're changing lives Awesome. And you thoroughly deserve everything you're getting. Awesome. Um, I'll uh, include all the links. We'll get everybody to get by the book because it's definitely worth it. And, you know, you should put the price up now. <laughs> That's it for another week. Thanks for listening. Absorb it. Practice it. Use it. Until next time, keep trying to hit that next level in your life.